0: Welcome to the Locked On Boston Bruins Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every other day for the time being as we continue to wade through this COVID-19 health crisis. Excuse any noise that you hear in the background as my small sons are causing a bit of a ruckus. I'm currently nursing a apple peach cider called Impeachment, courtesy of, where is this from? Somewhere in Niagara Falls, simply honest, and it's quite good. Uh, So, yeah, thanks so much for taking some time to listen to today's podcast. We're continuing our theme of looking back at some of the greatest teams in Bruins history, 2011 Stanley Cup. What happened there? Oh, my goodness. I'll be right back. Sorry for that emergency parent uh, getaway, but looks like Our youngest son had been splashed by his older brothers after having already put on his pajamas, which was quite annoying. Anyways, like I was saying, we're looking back at the 2011 Stanley Cup champions. And today I was pleased to have a chat with Ty Anderson, a Boston Bruins writer who I have been following for quite a number of years now, uh, ever since he worked for Hockey Buzz and then now with 98.5 Sports Hub. Uh, One of my favorite Bruins writers, as I say off the top, and it was a pleasure to chat Bruins hockey with him, and I hope you guys all enjoy uh, the conversation that we had coming up. I won't delay too much before getting to that, but I do want to remind you that the podcast is available wherever you can get podcasts, whether it be Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts. If you are an Apple user, I would request a rating and a review. That would be very much appreciated. Please also subscribe so that you get the latest podcasts right into your app, no matter which one you use. You can also find me on Twitter at Ian C. McLaren. I should mention it for those who are tuning in for the first time that I am your host, Ian McLaren. Uh, I love this team with all my heart and have been following them for uh, longer than I want to admit. And used to work for The Score, covering hockey full-time, now do some freelance hockey writing on the side, just by way of introduction. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Ian, No at LO underscore Boston Bruins, and you can email me at Bruins at gmail.com if you have any questions, feedback, suggestions, etc. So without further ado, let's get to my chat with Ty Anderson, very a wide-reaching chat about the 2011 Bruins, the 2019-20 Bruins, and how we are coping through this COVID-19 health crisis. Again, I hope you enjoy it, and I'll be back on Monday where we will begin our look at the 1970 Bruins, which, of course, were highlighted by the famous Bobby goal. but uh, spoiler alert, we'll get to that later. I hope you're all taking care of yourselves and each other, and I'll catch you again later Enjoy this conversation. Peace. I'm joined now by uh, Ty Anderson, who has covered the Bruins for a number of years for a bunch of different outlets, now currently at uh, 98.5 Sports Hub. And personally, he's a he's someone that I have been reading and following for, for a long time now. And I've always uh, very much enjoyed uh, his articles on the Bruins and his uh, logical and reasoned takes, which... Uh, have stood out from from the crowd over the years. So yeah, thanks so much, Ty, for for taking
1: some time. And I'm glad we're finally able to connect here uh, for this podcast. I know this feels like it's been a long time coming. So I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Let me shut my phone off while I'm at it too. Uh, so rude. <laughs> it's like I've never never done this before. um <laughs> No, I I, I uh, I'm i really happy to do this. And and uh, yeah, it's great. I mean, I wish we were talking about something a little bit more exciting right now, but this will this yeah. will do for now.
0: For sure, yeah. I think I first started reading your stuff back in the Hockey Buzz days. Can you kind of for those who don't know kind of just uh share kind of your story about how you first got into the Bruins and first started uh covering the team.
1: Yeah, so I started covering the Bruins uh in real life back in 2010. I had been I've been writing about them since uh my high school paper back in 2007. I was a huge nice. fan back when the Bruins were terrible. I could get season tickets for $700. That's what we did uh, using oh, wow. money from a summer job. And and so uh, I've always been close to the team in the sense that's my favorite sport in Boston, which I guess made you stand out because of the fact that everyone seemed to like the uh, the Patriots because they were winning all the Super Bowls and the Red Sox winning all the World Series. But the Bruins were always my team. Hockey was always my sport. So uh, being close to the game has always been a part of my life. And it's always been – uh, really thrilling Um getting the chance to do it full-time or not even full-time, but just as a job starting in 2010 uh, with Hockey Buzz, going to some magazines, going to uh, a radio station's website in 2016 and then landing at Hockey Buzz. The I mean, I'm sorry, landing at the Sports Hub, the you know official flagship station of the Bruins uh, in 2018 has been really awesome. Um, it's been a very rewarding journey. It's been a lot of fun. And I think the, the part that I find the most rewarding over time has been, just kind of finding my voice, finding what I like to do, um, realizing that not everything needs to take, not everything needs to be this, this, you know, huge disaster, huge success. It's, it's about having fun with the sport, having fun with the, with the the team and the players you grew up a huge fan of. And and I don't hide from that. I think that's important. And, you know, genuine sort of, listen, I, I, my job is easier when the Bruins win. And when the Bruins are successful, I'm having more fun. And, and, I think that a lot of people in the media, we try to kind of hide from that. And we put on this, this hat and say, no, no, I'm unbiased. I, I don't want anything good to happen. No, you, you hit the point. You want good things to happen because it's just, it's more fun that way. And, and that's kind of how I've always been. And I think now where I am in my career, it allows me to embrace that. You know, I'm allowed to, to say, oh, this is awesome. This is great. And no one's going to bat an eye because they think I'm this, you know, national journalist. They understand what I am. And, and I think that's been the most fun part of it all
0: you kind of alluded there to some kind of lean years for, for the Bruins back in the mid two thousands, I guess. And then st- kind of started upswinging uh, 2008, 2009. Uh, we all know what happened in 2010 with the, the allowing the Flyers to come back. Uh, we've been talking a lot on the podcast this week about the 2011 team, just kind of looking back at, at some of the the best teams in franchise history. And that, that team obviously stands out because of, uh, the win and the fact that they did it in in such dramatic fashion a lot of people have been rewatching it uh these days as Nesson has been showing it and and you uh were able to cover that team what what do you remember most from that that 2011 run to the Stanley Cup both
1: kind of uh professionally and on a personal level as well i remember thinking that in december 20 uh december 2010 they were done i remember they had a really ugly sleepy looking loss to anaheim and i want to say it was like december 16th or december 20th it was kind of a little bit after american thanksgiving uh they were a playoff team but they didn't look like a playoff team you know they looked like a team that was destined to lose in the first round or in the second round and, and that was after back-to-back years of losing in the second round and you kind of felt like this team was hitting its ceiling under claude julien uh, and then they had a few character wins and i think a few character losses i remember that loss in montreal in overtime. Max Pacioretty scores the game winning goal and then they had that those wins in Boston against Montreal in February and then in March really sort of dominant wins but also aggressive wins that kind of gave you a sense of what this team's identity was uh, after the deadline or uh, adding some players Rich Peverly, Chris Kelly, Tomas Cabralet uh, that team really sort of found its identity and found out who they were uh, o- over that second half of the season and those head-to-heads against Montreal and. I, I remember thinking I think it was that March game against uh Montreal where they won I think it was seven to one or seven to nothing. I remember watching that game and saying this team might be something special. Uh, it was a lot of hoopla going into that game and they really rose to the occasion. So I, I remember that game being a big one for them. Um and then you get to the playoffs and it was you go down oh two and that whole I mean that 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 first round they go down oh two. It's like walking around a, a funeral home. I mean, it was just you thought, okay, here you, go. you, you took it, you took the cheese again, you know, and now they're going to lose again, and, and this is what it's going to be. But I guess their heart and their character was really what stood out to me. Uh, again, that was my first time covering a team on a daily basis, uh, first time being around an NHL team with a press pass on a daily basis. Uh, but that team I, there's a lot of character there, and I think the deeper they mm-hmm. went, the more it came out.
0: Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this team lately, and I think um, some guys like uh, Mark Recchi obviously stand out as as guys, character guys who kind of stepped up. I I think I saw uh, Rich Peverly, he was tweeting, watching a game the other night for the Bruins, and he mentioned that that Recchi um, had a, a big locker room speech after they went down 0-2 uh, to the Canadians in the first round. And then on the championship dvd uh andrew ference also had a a good speech in the final he said after they beat um vancouver in game 6 and kind of remembering his experience with the flames uh having lost game 6 of the final a few years earlier to the lightning and kind of how demoralizing that was for that team and to kind of keep the the gas going who who kind of stands out from that that roster as those uh, character guys, both kind of the veteran guys and also maybe some of the young guys as
1: well who who stepped up both on and off the ice in that series or in in that playoff run. I mean, I would say that Andrew Farrin definitely doesn't get the credit he deserves for a lot of what he did. Uh, you know, he he has that that huge goal in Montreal. It flips off the crowd. You, you, you <laughs> say a little <laughs> about the second part, but that was a, that was a big goal for that team and in that series. Um, but he was a guy that he he had been there before you know he had been to the, the Stanley Cup in 2004 with the Flames so one of the few guys at that point that had Stanley Cup experience you know on that roster so he he was a massive part of what they did that year and and i think that it was really telling that the deeper they went uh the more his leadership kind of came through and it was funny to to sort of talk to him and get a sense for his sort of demeanor it was a very cool relaxed demeanor but he knew when to up the pressure went to sort of to say, Hey guys, let's go here. And that's, that's always a sign I think of a, of a strong on ice presence. Uh, So, so he really stands out to me uh, as, as one of those guys who was a huge part of what they were able to do that year. I think another player that maybe he wasn't the rah-rah kind of guy, but Michael Ryder was, you know, he, Mm. he scored a lot of big goals, stepped up in in multiple uh, occasions. And, and I think that, I think that if you're a Stanley cup team, you have guys who are serious uh, and they keep you focused, and you have guys who keep the team loose. I think Michael Ryder was one of those guys who kept everyone loose. Uh, I would compare him to today to sort of a Jake DeBrusque, that that they both okay. have their personalities, they're a little quirky, uh, but if you're within that room with them, you really like what they bring to the table. You really understand their value, uh, easing the tension, easing the moment. So I, I think that he deserves some credit as well, And and I think if we're talking younger guys, I mean, this was the birth of Brad Marchand, right? Uh, I always say yep. that his, his shorthanded goal in game three, that is my most favorite goal I've ever seen any, any Bruin player score. Uh, he strips the puck from Hendrik Sedin, who was a heart. Uh, I'm sorry, Daniel, who was a, who was a heart trophy favorite that year. He then uh, he dekes, he goes around Ryan Kessler, who was a Selkie finalist that year. And he <laughs> yeah. beats the a, a Vezina finalist that year. So He beats three guys who were at the top of their game at their position that entire season for a goal that really changed the series dynamic. So uh, I I think that those are the three guys that I kind of highlight. Obviously, you know, people people know what these guys have done by now. But I think a little bit of of what Ferentz and Ryder added uh, maybe lost the naked eye uh, but being around that team, being around those guys. They were huge, huge pieces of what they were able to do.
0: Yeah, yeah, that Michael Ryder save against the Canadians is is probably one of my favorite moments from, from that playoff run as well. He was, uh, yeah, just so valuable at both ends of the ice. And, uh, yeah, I think people, yeah,
1: like you said, kind of forget about his impact on that team. Um, yeah, and that was, I was kind of moving. Oh, sorry, go that ahead. Was his, that was his final year here. You know, I mean, I, that mm-hmm. was kind of like he went He went and in in Dallas after that, which was awesome for him. Uh, but, but that was a big part of it too, is that with, with all the, the investments they had and the upcoming contracts and whatnot, they needed that, that one final run, you, you know, and, and, and they got it, uh, from him and, and, and he helped deliver. And that, that was a, that was a really great, uh, final sort of swan song for Michael Ryder as, as, as a brief time as a Boston Bruin.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Memorable. Memorable time in, in the black and gold for sure. I guess moving now to more uh, current Boston Bruins uh, stuff. We're in the middle of this uh, pause right now because of COVID 19. We don't really know if and when um, the playoffs will take place. Uh, people keep talking about regular season games. I, I don't see that happening at all, but perhaps the Stanley Cup. Uh, but just looking back on the 2019 20 Bruins so far, um, what surprised you the most about this team, and and if there were any disappointments, what what stood out to you on that end as well?
1: Well, I think that what really surprised me is the fact that they came out just firing. I mean, they, they mm-hmm. came out like they didn't miss a, miss a beat from last year, and some of the things that were their strength last year, I think, have been even better this year. Their power play has been better. I think the first line Mm -hmm. has been better. Uh, Tuka Rask, who had had the best year of his life last year, in my opinion, in terms of complete pitcher from beginning to end, uh, or maybe you want to say after he came back from his personal leave of absence to the end of the year, he's been even better. Um, So those are things that are a little surprising to me because I think that typically when you're talking about a dominant first line, teams tend to figure out how to slow him down. Dominant power play, teams figure out what the tendencies are. A dominant goalie, I, how often do you get a goalie who's just white hot for for two straight seasons? It's very rare, I think. So especially today with all the scouting reports, all the video and, and all that all that stuff. So that's what's been surprising to me. I think what's been de- uh, a little bit disappointing, however, uh, you, could, you could circle some certain players. I thought Anders Burke would give you a little bit more this year. Danton Heinen mm, yeah. obviously was a guy I thought would give you some more. Uh, he's not here anymore, clearly. Uh, but that's been that thing that's been an issue. That sort of that you want that next jump from some guys. I thought this was the year that DeBrus would flirt with thirty. It didn't really happen, and I, I don't think it's going to happen because, as you said, I don't think we're going to get a, a regular season finish. I think you may get get a couple of couple games and four games, but beyond that, I I think you're going to go right to the playoffs. Um, so that's been a little depressing, I, I think, disappointing, whatever you <laughs> want to call it. I mean, a lot of these guys that you kind of pegged as saying, okay, this is their big year, this is their breakout year, it didn't really happen for them. Uh and, and that's sort of a problem that, you know, it goes to one of your strengths, right? I think that when these guys don't step up, you're more reliant on your power play, you're more reliant on strong goaltending. Uh and they've gotten that, but it might be fool's gold. So we're gonna have to wait and see what happens when they come back. But I think the when you get knocked down to the bottom of a mountain like they did losing game 7 and you have to have that mental strength to to start pushing once again it takes a lot you know a lot of teams can't do it and i think the fact that this team has done it uh, to this point before the league paused uh, is a really good sign of what this leadership has has sort of instilled in all the players in, the, in that locker room
0: yeah yeah totally i i would totally agree with uh, your assessment of Bjork and Tabrusk. i would have liked to have seen a bit more Kind of pop offensively from those two, but do you think it might um, work out in Boston's favor, seeing as they're both RFAs and um, they might be able to get them re-signed, kind of on maybe shorter bridge deals that that will help them against the cap, with with the possibility that it will go down. And also, you know, Tory Krug uh, being UFA, um, do you think that might end up kind of benefiting them in in the long run with with those two guys not kind of exploding offensively this year and driving
1: up their value? I would say it definitely should. I, I think that if you look at where DeBrus was trending last year before the playoffs started, I, I think that you're looking at a long-term deal for probably between, you know let's just say 4.75 mil and 5.5 and mil per year, depending on how, how frequently he scored, how consistent he got with his game. And now I think you're looking at a bridge deal. I think you're looking at probably three years, 10 million in total something, maybe mm-hmm. 11 million, something like that. Uh, and that's going to help them a lot. I, I think that saves them two and a half, three million per season on, on, on DeBrusque's, you know, market value. Uh, I think that that's a big thing. And, and so you like it for that reason, but you also want to know what these guys are in terms of what they're saying. Yeah. Like. I mean, is he going to be a 30 goal scorer? Is he more 20 to 25 with, you know, 20 helpers? Bjork is, you know, I, I, I think that we were so focused on Heinen not performing well that we kind of almost forgot about Andres Bjork falling out of frame. You look at their numbers uh, during that pre-deadline stretch, very similar, very similar. Heinen Heinen and and Bjork and Bjork is getting more minutes, and he's playing with better line mates, I think, by the end of it. So that's a little concerning. Uh, Obviously, this is his first full NHL season, and that jumped from college to the NHL in terms of the scheduling and the pacing. It's difficult. It didn't take, it took Blake Wheeler about five years to get used to it before before he was finally who we all thought he would be. And and that, unfortunately for the Bruins, happened in in another city. But I think that Bjork, I mean, he doesn't have a lot of time here to say, well, it's my first full year. It's my first this, this my first that. No, they relied on you. Like they traded Heinen because you had value. You showed your value. Now you have to go out there and live up to it. So that's a little concerning I think especially if if Kasha doesn't find his, his offensive footing and if Richie doesn't find um, you know his role in this team is it a top sixer is he a third liner I think he's more third liner but I think that's where Bjork's importance is really highlighted here they need that guy they need mm-hmm. that sec- that secondary scorer uh, behind that that second line there and, and Bjork is gonna be responsible for a lot of that especially given the fact that he is now I would say he's now their best you know he's Charlie Cole's best option now on the wing, so uh, they need more from him. So it's good you're going to save money, but it also creates questions as to where do they fit in your long term picture, which never a fun discussion to have given the age of this core.
0: Yeah, true. I was actually going to ask you about uh, the new guys, Richie and Kasha. Um, like you said, Richie had kind of been bumped up, maybe higher than most of us expected in recent games prior to the break with uh, a second line uh, left wing slot Kasha skating on the right side of that line with, with Krejci. Uh, How did you see them kind of fitting in with the, with the Bruins in, in that limited sample size and uh, kind of, where did you see them fitting in long-term, maybe Richie taking a step back and going back down to the third line or, or did you see him fitting, fitting up there with Krejci for the time being?
1: Yeah, I don't think he really has the endurance to to be with Krejci full-time. And, and Krejci's yeah. not a burner by any stretch. But I, I just don't think that you want Richie playing 18 minutes a night. I just don't think that's really his game. I don't think you're going to get the right. most out of him by doing that. Uh, I like him on the third line with, with Coil. Now, they've tried this with Coil before where they put a bigger body there. And it hasn't always worked. They've tried Solaric, They've tried David Backus. It's not bad it, you know, for a little bit. But they always seem to have a hard time finding the score sheet. Uh, so this will be a new test to see if he can stick with them. I like him though, in the sense that he is, he has value. Uh, he's productive with his ice time. The biggest thing for him is I think it's just getting in Bruin shape. You know, Bruin shape is different than Anaheim shape. I I think you talk to players who come to Boston and the first thing they always tell you is these practices are intense. Like the Bruins don't waste time that you get in, you put your pads on, you go to work. You, you don't have a lot of dilly-dallying and a lot and a lot of just hey we're going to goof around for practice here now they want to get in and get out so you have to be on the same page as them a lot of the guys on that team are workout fiends between Kevin Miller between Chara you know even guys like Corrale and Wagner like they, they put the, they put the work in you know and they, and they want you to do the exact same so I think that's an important part for Richie that he's going to have to sort of learn and understand here but I just think he has the physical tools and, and the skill set to be a good third liner for this team, maybe a second line fill in. Um, but I think ultimately the third line is where you want him to be. Um, when it comes to Kasha, I, I think that this break is the worst thing that could happen to him. I really do. Yeah. I, I think that he was obviously coming into Boston, coming off the concussion or the, the flu, whatever you want to call it, whatever, whatever term we're using now uh, to, to hide concussions. Uh, <laughs> he. he His timing was off. I thought that he had a strong skill set. He could force uh, defenders into bad situations. I thought his forechecking game was very underrated. Uh, His moves to the neutral zone were pretty, I thought were pretty excellent more often than not. Uh, But offensively, the rhythm was a little off. The timing was a little off. uh, And this break doesn't help that. You know, he's just, so you feel bad for him in that regard. But I do think that with crechey i think you have something there i think it may take a little while to get going which again that hurts his his 2020 playoff run but i think that they have someone pretty solid here in terms of what cassidy wants and what crechey wants out of a line mate
0: right if if the playoffs do happen at some point and kind of they go in all things being equal right now, do you think the Bruins should be considered the favorites to go ahead or or is it too much of a crapshoot just playoffs in general and then having had this break, what guys will be like when they come back? Is it like going to be even more kind of parody than where we're used to in the playoffs or or do you think the Bruins with that consistency, the fact that they've pretty much been together together, most of the lineup since since last year you think they'll have an advantage in in that respect as well and should be considered the favorites to to at least get back to the final
1: yeah I think that everyone's starting from step one here you know everyone's back to back to the their first their first step towards trying to win a Stanley Cup and and that's a good and a bad thing I think that I I'm not as worried about the Tampa Lightning as I was in in March to be honest with you and 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 I and I'm not as worried about a seven game series with the Philadelphia Flyers as I want as I was back then because I thought that team could pose some problems for you as well. Yeah. So uh, this might be a weird year where you know the the Carolina Hurricanes win the Stanley Cup because they they're the first team that yeah. found their footing. You know, it's just that's just the right, way right. that these years can kind of go. Uh, you can either you can have it one way or the other. You know, you can have it like in 2013 when the Blackhawks were the best team in the league and they were the best team in the league from start to finish. Um, but uh, you know, the guys I worry about are Artuka are because of his rhythm he was in and, and mm. sort of how he was tracking the puck. I mean, if that goes, it's hard to find your game again. And, and David Pasternak is another one considering how well he was scoring, how consistent he was scoring. I mean, these are the two most important pieces of your team. And if they're not playing well, you know, you're in trouble. So. i I worry about them in that regard but i think the comforting fact is that everyone is back at again everyone's back to zero here everyone's trying to build up their endurance again build up their consistency um so i can't worry about it too too much i do think though that their best players have to kind of you know hit the ground running here you know tuca used to be a slow starter go back to his last few Mm -hmm. years His october's weren't always that great so if that happens, I mean, your wiggle room here is not what it, what it is in October. You know, it, depending on how we return to the play here, uh, how many games you get, how many scrimmages you get, whatever they want to call it, before these games actually matter. And and do you get a seven-game series, or is the first round of a best of five, best of three? Yeah, true. I, I don't know what they're going to do here. No one does. So I think it could be massive, massive season-altering sort of changes here, and it, you know it it given what happened last year and given what a kick in the head it was it's really frustrating to think this could this could be the yeah. year where the bruins have to win some sort of wacky tournament and and win a game in grand forks north dakota versus being having the yeah. whole nights that they earned for for 70 games i mean it's just it's crazy it's it's unlike anything we've ever seen yeah. before
0: yeah i said i said earlier today that this whole pause would be a lot easier to swallow if, if they had won game seven as opposed to how last season ended. But yeah, hopefully they can get back at some point. Uh, speaking of Tuca, um, we all know that Halak is a UFA this summer. He's, I think, been a big reason why Rask has been so uh, resurgent over the last couple of years. Um, do you kind of see a situation where Tuka has to take on a bigger role next year if they can't? Re up with Halak and are forced to kind of rely on uh, one of the younger guys as the backup uh, for next season. And how do you think that might affect might affect his game?
1: Well, I think that the, the Halak market's going to be interesting because he's thirty five years old. So any contract you pay, you know, you're you're kind of stuck with that money. Um, Great, right. but but I would say that his best chance is, is he should stay with the Bruins, but the problem is the money. I, I think that yeah. this would be, uh, this would be, you know, the perfect time for, for some team to get silly. Let's just say the Buffalo Sabres, right? They look at the <laughs> yeah. situation and they say, okay, well, this guy's been a stabilizing presence for this team for a while or for the last two years. Let's bring him in. See, if we can see if he can be a starter, you know, he can be our one a if we really want it. But I think the money component Almost helps the Bruins in the sense that they could offer a one-year deal and say, "Hey, you know, come back for one more run." Halak loves it here; he, he really does. And this guy's bounced around throughout the league, uh, so he knows a good city when he sees one. Uh, but I think that he, he's aware that his situation right here uh, is 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 pretty damn good, and so he may be willing to do a one-year deal. Uh, I don't know if he still thinks that he can do the cash in. I don't know if anyone's going to come to him with a four-year deal, for example. So if his options are a two-year deal or a three-year deal somewhere else, and maybe a a one-year deal with a cup contender who's going to give him 35 to 40 starts, that might be a difficult discussion for him in terms of what he wants to do. But if he's maximizing his value – it definitely won't be with the Bruins. It'll be with someone who's right. going to again back up that bring struck for him as much as you can at thirty-five year old goalie. But I think after going through what he went through on the Islanders, you know, being on a bad defensive team and and kind of just getting killed every night, <laughs> yeah. I, I do think that you know going through going down to waivers at one point, being in Bridgeport with the with the the Sound Tigers for a while, I think that he's cognizant of that. He realizes what what happens if he does leave the system. So. Um, I would think that they should make an effort to keep him. And, and I think that's what sort of goes into these these problems, you know, this lack of clarity with Tori Krug. I think it's because right. they, they really value Yaroslav Halak. And and this might not be a great market to sort of dip your toe into and say, okay, we need to find a goal who can be, you know, Halak 2.0. It might be difficult to find that guy this year. So I almost like his chances of returning to this team uh, for next season, given what he does across the board and for Tuca.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I hope you're right on that one. And I was actually going to ask you next about Tori Krug. There was, um, you know, question marks raised this week when he said that he hasn't really had any contact with the team. From my, uh, my perspective, I kind of saw that as, you know, not on a, a lack of willingness on management's part, but just kind of that, yeah. Lack of clarity from many points of view as to what is going to happen uh when, if and when play might resume, when free agency is going to open and how much money they'll have to spend. Um, what's kind of your sense on his um, willingness to return, Boston's ability to resign him and and if he might be one of those guys that uh, is a candidate to kind of cash in on the open market if, if teams uh, come calling and want to make a big splash?
1: Yeah, I think that the Detroit Red Wings are a team that you can just circle. Yeah. And say, that's who is going to, gonna gonna offer him the most money. Uh, that's currently where he is right now. He's, he's chilling in Michigan with his in-laws. So um, I think that there's a lot of sort of uncertainty with him, as you'd expect, given his age, his size, his skating style, uh, what years are you locking yourself into here? Uh, you know, how, how good the years five and six or maybe seven of that contract look, and can you tolerate it if his game falls off a cliff? Uh, I would say this, that the Bruins really need Tory Krug. I think that given what they are as a team, how they're built, I think that he's a real, real important piece of what they do, um, and especially what Cassidy wants out of his defensemen. And I say this knowing that they have Matt Grizzly and knowing that they have Charlie McAvoy. I just don't <laughs> know if those players are ever going to be what Tory Krug is offensively. You know, and I don't know if you can afford to lose that right now because life before Tory Krug was very messy for this team in terms of yeah. defenseman, offensive defensemen, want to call it. And then you look sort of where they are below the NHL level. Do they have that next guy? It seems like they have a lot of two-way sort of the Jeremy Lozon types who can chip in a little bit offensively, but they're not going to be a 40-point guy. You know, so so do they have that replacement? Because if you don't, getting that in the open market costs you $7 million. You know, it just, it's, it's what it costs you now. So uh, I, I would like to see him back. I think, I have a feeling he's hes not going to be back just based on the whole cap structure and the upcoming expansion draft. Uh, but I, I, I think the longer this goes, the less likely I believe he is coming back. You know, I just feel like they would have more answers right now than they do. And listen, maybe they're playing close to the vest. Maybe they're not going to give updates through the media, and if not, that's fine with me. I just I, I just wonder if these guys are, are on the same page in terms of demands versus the willingness to spend. So uh, the cap, you know, not being what it was projected to be, is going to hurt them. But I do think that they've they've managed their way out of this to the point where they could sign him. It, so for me, it's, are you willing? Uh, do you want to do it? Or do you want to say, no, we, we're not going to, we're not going to pay a 34-year-old crew this kind of money.
0: Right. Yeah, i thought for a while now that if if he were to go, that Detroit is obviously the logical landing spot just because, you know, he's from Michigan, family there. This pause has given a lot of people reason to pause and, and kind of consider what's what's most important. So maybe he, yeah, wants to cash in, go home. Uh, I could see that uh, being a real possibility. But also, yeah, the Bruins have a, a track record of being able to get guys to agree to stick around for maybe less than what they could get. And if he values that kind of family dynamic in the locker room, then maybe that'll be enough to catch uh, catch another break uh, with with one of their one of their guys. But yeah, that'll be a interesting whether it's July or who knows August, October when agency <laughs> happens. Yeah, that'll be a a huge storyline to watch for sure. Um, The only other thing I wanted to ask about is, yeah, just kind of how you're keeping busy during the pause. Are are you kind of watching old games? Are you watching this season's games again? Or are you binge watching anything on Netflix? How how are you keeping busy through all this?
1: Well, my girlfriend is showing me uh, New Girl for the first time. uh, Oh, okay. I've never seen that show. So uh, we've been watching that. Uh I refuse to watch the Tiger King uh, series. I'm all <laughs> yeah. set with that. I don't I don't need that in my life. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah. I, I mean old games it's tough because you know how they end. Uh so right. for me it's it's I don't get the same joy that a lot of people do because I mean I'll I'll watch it if I don't remember it in the sense of my adrenaline was going too much or you know I try to watch every game twice. Uh, if i cover a game in real life i try to race home in time to, to catch the midnight rebroadcast on nesson um, okay so it's just it just because there are things you miss you know there's just so much going right. on it's, it's a sensory overload um so you want to you want to try to see it again and pick up on things you may have missed matchups you may have missed um so i haven't been watching a ton of old games to be honest um at yeah first, I, I can't nice really do that. that either yeah it's just it's, it's just it's not the same i i guess like yeah, it, it, it's it's it all depends, I guess, what the context is. Am I going to sit back and 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 watch, rewatch Game Three of 2011 against Lightning? Probably not. <laughs> I'll rewatch Game Seven <laughs> if it's on, or I'll rewatch, you know, Game yeah. Six of the Stanley Cup Final um, against Vancouver. Uh, but but I'm not gonna, you know, I, I'm not gonna make it appointment viewing. I just think that, yeah, you know, a lot of what we do is is very sports, 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 and you get the break to kind of do something else, and it's great, but. I'm at that point now where I'm saying, okay, I, I kind of want the sports again now. Uh So it, it's, it's a, it's a sliding scale, I guess, really in terms of what you want to yeah. watch in terms of classics and, and rewinds and, and whatnot. But I guess a lot, sure. a lot of, uh, a lot of Netflix, a lot of reading, and a lot of just kind of looking at the calendar and, and hoping something actually comes about that, that can keep me a little busy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, totally in the same boat. And uh yeah, I really appreciate you taking some time to come on. Like you said, it's been a long time coming. I, I really have enjoyed your Bruins coverage over the years, and and uh, I look forward to when that happens again when when play resumes, and hopefully we can connect again throughout this pause or or when we know that games are coming back, just to kind of tee up uh, whatever is next, whether it be regular uh, season games or or the playoffs, whatever that's going to look like. But in the meantime, yeah. Take care and uh hopefully, yeah, we can connect again sometime uh, in the near future,
1: yeah, absolutely, whenever you need me, let me know, and um obviously uh I, I i will make we'll make it happen because uh i i I do like this you know we've gone, but we've we've known each other for a while now i mean we've been we've been yeah. internet friends for like ten years now, so mm-hmm. uh, pretty pretty wild that you that you know you can you can build these kind of relationships now on Twitter, but uh yeah when you know absolutely whenever you need me. Um, let me know and and we'll definitely make some something work because listen when this team comes back we're gonna be we're gonna have no shortage of things to talk about and so yeah for sure uh, I'll be here for that and I know you will be as well so yeah we'll get after it awesome well yeah thanks again I appreciate it and take care
0: and, and I'll reach out soon for sure
1: awesome sounds good
0: all right thanks Ty take care man
1: see ya